Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight, we're talking about a very important subject, women's freedom and also World Contraception Day. Contraception has been one of the greatest things that has ever happened to women in the past 50 years. We're also talking about women's freedom and menopause and why if you stop having sex, it's not a good thing. I'm Maureen McGrath and the Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. Oh, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Rage against the regime in Iran has erupted since the horrific death one week ago of 22-year-old woman, a a 22-year-old woman named Masa Amini, who was killed after allegedly wearing her hijab too loosely. She was killed by the morality police, allegedly, They claim it was a heart attack, but may I remind you that it is almost unheard of for a 22-year-old healthy female to have a heart attack. Her parents, of course, dispute that as well. This has led to protests throughout many cities of Iran, and at least 11 people have been killed in Iran this week after the funeral of Masa Amini. Joining me on the line is Sonia and her mother. Sonia is a Swedish-born Persian who emigrated to Canada at the age of 11 and experienced her life from the eyes of refugee parents. These early experiences shaped Sonia's foundation and fueled the work that she does today as the co-founder of Matern and also a women's rights advocate. She is a mother of two herself, and as I mentioned, she's joined here with her mother, Paran Paregbal, a clinical counselor based in Vancouver, British Columbia, who focuses much of her clinical focuses much of her clinical practice on the Persian community. Paran lived through the 1979 revolution and the Iran-Iraq War before fleeing to Sweden as a refugee, and has dedicated her work and life to helping other refugees and immigrants who experience trauma. Good evening, Sonia and Paran. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining me. Good evening, Maureen. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Oh, my pleasure. It's just so horrific what has happened with this horrific death yeah. of, of this poor young woman. I mean, just her family must be devastated. The country is devastated. The world is, uh, you know, just shocked that this is still going on in 2022. Yeah. Haran, what was life like there? You fled during the revolution. What was life like in Iran? You know what, actually, what happened to uh, Masa Amini now, it happened to me and has happened to thousands of other women. However, I'm alive. And uh, uh, back in 1982 and until 84, at least several times, four times at least, I remember situations where I was walking or driving on the street and um, I was uh, being uh, stopped by uh, these revolutionary people, uh, four men sitting in one car, four women and another car, and they are kind of chasing you. I I have been chased several times and until, and they they get you out of the car to look at your uh, arms, um, sleeveless, or if, I, actually, I was wearing at the, all the time. I was wearing those uh, regular the uh, dress code, however not properly, I guess, like Masa Amini. And they make mm. you 
so scared. They make you, I mean, I remember especially one situation I ta- was talking for, to, for Sonia. I got so scared. I was numbed. I, did, I don't remember anything what I said to them because they were, and their car was ready, their van to get in. If you get into that van, you will not come back. You are not coming back. So I was seeing that danger that I'm, they, they are going to lead me to that van. So I don't know if I apologize, whatever. So I, uh, so I, this situation has happened so many times, and this trauma, and the many other situations we have been in, I have been in, is still sitting in my bodies and mind and soul, and that's why I have specialized uh, myself in the uh, trauma treatment because, first of all, myself, I'm a wounded healer, I'm a traumatized person. However, I have helped myself. Uh, still, one things uh, like this happen with Mahsa Amini and the situations that we have in Iran right now. Uh, everything gets triggered. You get triggered to the point that you are angry, you are shocked, and there is so much anxiety and fear going on. However, uh, the fear today, I mean, what we experience today with the people coming to the streets, and especially today we were on the uh, Vancouver Art Gallery and people are chanting, uh, we do not want this regime anymore. And I see that, wow, we, we are able to say that without fearing, actually. We couldn't say this until uh, just recently, publicly. So I have been traumatized many, 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 many times, not, uh, not only directly, but indirectly by seeing other people. My brother, he was 15 years old. He was uh, sent to the war, Iran, Iraq war, b- with force. And then when he was uh, coming back and my father, he was not letting him go back again. So basically there was a situation. He got hundred. Can you t- think about this? Hundred flashes because uh, oh. he was to be punished for refusing the regime. So uh, thankfully, my brother he is out of Iran now. However, those slashes he got and the scene that we saw—I mean, the picture—still we have a, my father back then. We had the Kodak uh, camera, took a picture, and uh, that became a kind of uh, help, big help to prove that we have been tortured. And um, just witnessing what my brother went through, I was 18, he was, um, I was 19, he was 15. So even just witnessing and witnessing other friends being um, vanished from uh, school, from workplaces. I mean, so many of our friends, they vanished on the street. I mean, uh, we had a common friend, my, me and my husband. One day, he, uh, my husband went to work. They were working together, so his, his motorbike was there, but he didn't come back. So we realized that he will never come back, and he was killed. We, we saw yeah. his name in a list of people who had been executed. So the story goes on and on. I mean, it's uh, 42 years, 43 years of shock and terror, of horrible stories. And you know what? The world is going to hear those stories from now on. We haven't even been able to touch the iceberg. Uh, the top of the iceberg. We haven't even been able to explain, to say 
what has happened to us. So Masa Amini is basically a symbol now for uh, what we have gone through. So, uh, I mean, just talking about the trauma that we have gone through. I mean, myself, I was uh, seven months pregnant with Sonia. And this is a story of trauma that uh, it it's, uh, has a huge toll on me, has had. I mean, I'm healed and good now. So leaving seven months pregnant uh, to become a refugee in Sweden, you know, uh, this is um, easy to hear, but um, years of... Um, anger and sadness and grief uh, over the so many losses. Uh, uh, this is our story. Uh, however, today we are in a better place than ever we have been the past 43 years because now people are able to actually come on the street even though they are being killed. They are able to uh-huh. stand. Uh, you know what death with this regime is, and it's not about the death. We do not want this regime anymore. Uh, we are done with Islamic, whatever public republic they are. So we want our life back. We have, our life was stolen. I mean, this is. Um, I know many people share these stories. Uh, our life was stolen 43 years ago, and now today I'm. 60. At times I'm thinking, wow, what happened with our life, really? What happened? There is no one day we have been able to live our life. Uh, but with the memories and of trauma and situations that we have been in. My guests are Sonia and her mother, Paran Poregbal, who is a clinical counselor based in Vancouver. Sonia is the co-founder of Matern, an organization to support your maternity journey while growing your family and career. And uh, Poran has shared some very compelling stories uh, about her time living in Iran, where she was actually pulled over by morality police, lost friends and family. Thanks, ladies, for staying on, on the line. Uh, I have to say, my heart is pounding with um, the stories that you were oh. were sharing, Paran. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just it's just shocking. But the world knows now, uh, effectively through the protests and through the internet, and the the word is getting out as to what life is like for women mm-hmm. and people in Iran. Uh, do you feel that there is some hope on the horizon? There is, yeah, there there is hope, Maureen. Um, you know, with the internet being, you know, uh, so accessible around the world, uh, we've been able to see and observe a difference in how these protests are being uh, exposed and what's actually going on in Iran over the last 10, 15 years. You know, these protests are not new. This unrest is not new. This has been going on for 43 years. But what's different now is that we're able to actually see what's going on inside. The world finally gets a view into what's happening on the street. And that has been a huge threat to the government, so much so that they've shut down the Internet across the country. But what we're seeing now is that people are using their platforms, they're using their freedoms, so that 
we can have that, we can be that voice for those who don't have a voice across the world. We need to use our freedom so that they can regain theirs. And so today, when we went to the Vancouver Art Gallery for the rally in solidarity, it was so beautiful to see that these people have been doing this for 40 plus years. I mean, standing by my mother and my father who were there during the revolution in 79 and to be here 43 years later with them and see that they're still standing here. They're not giving up hope. We have to use our freedom, our democracy, our uh, privileges to support those who don't have that freedom. And so, you know, I, I am very, very aware that if my parents hadn't made that choice to flee Iran in the 80s, I would have been one of those women on the streets in Iran right now fighting for my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, or you could have been, you know, 22 year old Masa Amini, who, who has spawned all of this, her death has actually ignited all of those, uh, all of that rage against the regime, um, you know, which if something good could could come out of something horrific, this is the time. Yeah, she, she is, you know, she's a symbol of the 43 year old oppression that has been front and center in Iran, where women have been robbed of their very basic human rights and, you know, prescribed a dress code, prescribed how they can and cannot behave in public, who they can be with. And, you know, just by being a woman in Iran is a risk right now. And, you know, we've been hearing from our families in Iran and, you know, through cryptic messages, they're exhausted. They're tired of the suffering. They're tired of the blood. And they really need our help. And so today, seeing all these people together in solidarity, it was a really emotional moment for, I think, all of us. Because while we're not where we want to be, we will not Mm -hmm. give up until... I am sure not. Sonia and Paran, thank you so much for sharing your story. We are talking unintended pregnancy, and I have some sobering stats for you. From 2015 to 2019, in Canada, 50% of pregnancies were unplanned. In 2019, 162.9 million women around the world had an unmet need related to contraception option. And according to a United Nations report, a 2008 study reported that pregnancies among contraceptive users accounted for nearly half of all unintended pregnancies with nine in 10 of those pregnancies being attributed to inconsistent or incorrect use, which is why I'm happy to report this evening that tomorrow on September 26th is World Contraception Day. It is a day that we need so we can raise awareness and bring light to the topic of the importance of access, education, and the ability to connect with a healthcare provider for contraceptive options. Fortunately, we have a healthcare provider on the line tonight, Dr. Diane Francoeur, Chief Executive Officer at the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada, joins me on the line to talk about this very important health issue. Good evening, Dr. Francoeur. Good evening, Maureen. 
Thank you so much for joining me. Unintended pregnancy, people don't think a lot about that because oftentimes we think it's it's planned or it's it's not planned. But um, you know, you have to raise your eyebrow, be, you know, it's it's kind of surprising some of those statistics that I that I read out. And then there are also some increased risks that babies and mothers may encounter through an unplanned pregnancy. Can you talk us through some of those? Yes, absolutely. And this is surprising, isn't it? But, you know, it, it's been like that for years, even though we have different contraceptive methods. But, you know, what is the most important about planning pregnancy? Well, first of all, contraception is freedom, freedom for women. So it's, it, you know, having a baby nowadays, is not always an easy task. It's expensive. Uh, and it, and it's so much easier when it's planned because there's some, I would say, bad behaviors that uh, unfortunately happen, like the use of uh, drug, cannabis, alcohol when you don't plan, and especially at the early weeks when it's it's probably the most important when you're building your baby inside and you have to make sure that you're you're not exposing your baby to all these. Uh, a risk that may have important effect like the fetal alcohol syndrome, which is really something very not good at all because it's associated with, um, uh, you know, intellectual problem, physical problem, mm -hmm. behavior problem. So it's better to avoid that and plan. Absolutely. And you mentioned contraception is freedom. And uh, this is a reminder for tomorrow. We know given the events that are going around on around the world, especially in Iran, you know, women's freedoms are being taken away. And, um, you know, it, it's, and also Roe v. Wade there, this is so important, uh, that women have freedom and, and contraception does provide women with that freedom. Now, not only would somebody, you know, with an unintended pregnancy through some of the risky behaviors, as you mentioned, but but an unintended pregnancy can also have a significant financial impact on a person. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And and it's well, first of all, you know, some provinces like mine in Quebec are a bit better, I would say. And nothing is perfect towards women having. Uh, them, you know, uh, keep them away from work if the working environment is toxic, so they're going to be paid to stay home during the pregnancy. If, if, they, if we don't want them to be exposed, they're going to have a maternity leave, a paternity leave, uh, you know, a daycare that is uh, available, but that's just Quebec. Other women in Canada, they don't have that. And I work in Ontario now, and I see that, and it is so shocking for me to see young women who have to put our, their career on pause to be able to take care of their kids because their care is too expensive. So they, they wait, especially if they have two, you know, it's double the cost and it's, uh, it has a real, real, real big impact. So that's why it is so important to be able to plan. And, and we have, you know, more and more methods that are, we hope always, that are going to be able to meet every woman's expectation and needs. That's right. And you mentioned the high cost of daycare and, and mostly across the country, it's very expensive. And, and really, it's only professional women who have higher salaries who can even actually afford that 
uh, type of daycare or the expense of that daycare. And, and again, it can be putting, um, you know, women have to put their careers on hold and maybe they miss out on that promotion. Um, and, and also I would imagine that for a woman who had an unplanned pregnancy, um, that might lead to some emotional health issues. W- would that be the case? We, oui, we, oui, oui. <laughs> yes, very much in French and in English, because it's, uh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're at SOGC now we're working on, uh, preventing maternal mortality. And you know what? When we dig and dig on data that we have, we find out that mental health is an amazingly big issue. It's it's really bad. So this is why, you know, you have to plan a pregnancy because if you're taking pills, there's some medication you need to stop. Most of the time you can keep on staying on them, but then you, you need to you know, be followed early on in pregnancy to make sure that, uh, you know, depression, anxiety is under control. And when the pregnancy is not planned, some, sometimes you, ha- you can have more nausea and be more sick because, you know, you were not ready to, to go there and you were not ready to know what was coming and you don't have help because, we you know, what we see in a in a rich country like Canada, when we compare ourselves to other countries, women are oftentimes, unfortunately, so lonely. You know, they have small mm-hmm. family. There's no one to help. If they have other children, there's no no one to keep. You know, give them a hand when uh, when they're sick. So it's it's really um, important that uh, you can plan this pregnancy. So at least uh, you're more likely to uh, uh, to feel better if you have help from your family and relatives. Absolutely. And if you're psychologically and emotionally and financially prepared to have a, a child, you know, it things I would imagine would go so much better than somebody who had an unintended pregnancy who didn't potentially, you know, want the baby and but feels that there's no other choice. Um, this is all prevent- preventable um, through contraceptive options. And there are so many contraceptive options today for women. Why is it important for women to connect with their healthcare providers to learn about the contraceptive options? Well, it's important because, first of all, there's a lot of bad press in social media, and we found out about it, especially with COVID, you know, that the, the, the fake news and the bad news go, go much faster and uh, so that's why it's important to have the real information because there are very, some very very reliable methods like 99.9% effective when we talked about the long term progestin methods and they have to be known because especially for you know women who are still in school and they are they don't plan to have a baby before 5 6 7 years you know, they're going to be on contraception for a long time. So these methods are incredibly reliable. But sometimes, you know, if someone is not happy with the, they they will talk more on social media than the one who are happy, who are enjoying it and having, I would say, a very good um, sexual life without being worried that a pregnancy will come. So that's why it's important to get the real information from healthcare provider. 
And once again, you know, you don't always need to see a physician. Nurses are really well trained. In some provinces, pharmacists know very much about contraception. In some provinces, they can even initiate it. And this is the why women have to know about it. And there are some sites like we... We we work with at the SOGC at the Society of Obstetrician and Gynecologists of Canada. We work to empower women so they know what to ask. They can be prepared when they see their healthcare provider to to choose the best method for them. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. The work you're doing is going to certainly empower women to make the right decisions in their life at the right time in their life. That's Dr. Diane Franker, she is the CEO of the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada. Contraception is just about the best thing to happen to women in the past 50 years. And uh, joining me on the line is Mike Cassia. He is the president of Organon Canada. And Organon Canada is making it their business to act with her. Good evening, Mike. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me again, Marie. Good to be here. You're very, you're very welcome. Now, tomorrow is World Contraception Day, and Organon is launching Act With Her. Tell me a little bit about that initiative. Yeah, Act With Her is actually an initiative that um, is going to be launched globally. For um, your listeners who might not know who Organon is, we're a new, um, relatively new global healthcare company. We launched um, in June of last year, and our primary reason for being is uh, around women's health. Uh, we're dedicated to improving women's health at all stages of their lives, and that uh, includes contraception. So um, on World Contraception Day, which is tomorrow, September 26th, we're launching the Act With Her program, um, which is an initiative to really help raise awareness around unintended pregnancies, both here in Canada, but also worldwide, and to help with advocacy around uh, education and access to contraception here in Canada and in countries around the world. Education is so important, and I didn't quite realize just how important it was, but understanding now that 50% of pregnancies in Canada and worldwide are actually unintended pregnancies, not to mention that uh, half of all unintended pregnancies can be attributed to inconsistent or incorrect use. So awareness and education, in, correct information being shared, seeing your healthcare provider, these are all very important aspects for women. It's, it's, it's one thing to have contraception for which we are tremendously grateful, um, you know, so that we can actually have the option to plan our lives, plan when we want to have children, plan when we want to start a family. It, it impacts career. It, it impacts economic stability, relationships. I mean, it's, it's far reaching. So, I mean, I, I really appreciate this initiative. So tell me a little bit about the different facets of the initiative Act With Her. Um, you know, what, what is the, I, I know it's Act With Purpose and Act With Advocates and Education and for Impact. So, so why is it important to Act With Purpose? So we believe that, um, you know, the, at the heart of um, contraception is actually enabling women their full potential, um, and by having a edu proper education to ensure that uh, she's aware of all the options, uh, in addition to being able to have the right discussions with their healthcare provider as well with, as with her sexual partners, um, that will enable you know um, 
better ability to avoid unintended pregnancies. Our initiative is um, around education first, really to empower women and girls to be in a place to control those decisions about their body. Um, and we're looking forward to partnering with uh, organizations such as the Society of uh, Obstetrician and Gynecologists of Canada, um, which is doing initiatives tomorrow, actually, around World Contraception um, Day in, in order to kind of highlight some of these um, initiatives. Um, also, we're working with advocacy groups like the SOGC um, to really foster the position of uh, uh, access as well as education. And we're also working to improve access to contraception for women here in Canada, but also globally. So through a multi-agency global effort, we're um, expanding contraception availability, most particularly in 69 of the lowest income countries. That's um, 20 million women who are receiving one of our contraceptions through this program and really helping to prevent an estimated 40 million of unintended pregnancies. Um, it's true as well as home here in Canada. We're, we're providing donations of contraceptions to different institutions that require them. Um, the other thing I'll say is around education. It's uh, not just empowering women with the information to make the decision, um, but also uh, educating men on the responsibility they hold within the, um, the contraception process. So ensuring they're aware of the impact as well as uh, being responsible sexual partners. And, and all of this work really helps to advance the progress of women, which might, might come to us, come as a surprise to a lot of people, but women still have a long way to go, especially in terms of freedom and independence and financial and economic stability and security and also making their own decisions. Uh, how do you find, you know, some of the messages on social media can be misinformation, disinformation. Uh, how will this help um, your your campaign, Act With Her, how will that help to you know, fight up against that, if you will? I mean, I see a lot of messages on um, social media, on Instagram mainly, where people who are actually not healthcare providers, who are providing medical information and medical education that is quite honestly incorrect. And so how can you combat that? I think through the partnership we're having with different agencies in the countries that we operate in, you know, more particularly with the SOGC here in Canada, to drive people to the right information sources. So uh, the SOGC has a number of online resources, sexandyou.ca, uh, which enables kind of a transparent discussion on the topics of uh, sexual education. Uh, it's a plan.ca, which um, helps to educate around the different contraceptive options that uh, women have uh, to choose from. And, uh, you know, we're doing similar initiatives with our, our own education website, uh, essentiel.ca, which um, helps to uh, outline some of the options that women have, but then also how to have the discussions themselves. So I think working with the different agencies to drive traffic to those reliable resources, um, those science-based resources can only help within um, the education process. Absolutely. You know, these conversations can be difficult for people. They, there's still a stigma attached to sex, especially as it relates to women. Um, how do you, do you hope that this initiative will help to break the stigma and normalize these conversations to encourage open dialogue uh, for people to have, especially with their partners or their healthcare providers? Uh, exactly. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that the, the initiatives that we do with uh, Different agencies like the SOGC will enable that discussion to break the stigma. 
some of the websites um, that I mentioned also have uh, tools to help engage in, uh, in some of the more difficult discussions. So the, the hope is actually that we normalize some of these um, discussions um, because the impact is, um, is, is big. Oh, it certainly is. And it's so important that women prioritize their health, make an appointment to speak with a healthcare provider to actively discuss sexual and reproductive health. You know, sometimes doctors feel that, uh, according to one study I was reviewing recently, you know, that, that they don't want to get into uh, the private aspect of, of somebody's life. But it's such an important conversation to have because, as you say, some of the outcomes for not paying attention to one's health can have long term impact on a person's life so but this indeed, is a actually, fab- you know, go ahead Andy, we actually we, um we commissioned a study last year to ask canadian women um you know what the impact of unintended pregnancies uh, would be on their lives and you know some of the the answers you would expect to see the impact on physical health on mental health and career you know were high up there but the number one reason um, or number one impact that they saw was financial. So um, mm-hmm. the unintended pregnancies on themselves and their families is a big issue. And I think, uh, you know, studies I think show that in Canada, the cost of unintended pregnancies is uh, up to $320 million a year, direct annual cost. So, um, I, you know, important to highlight. It absolutely is. Mike Cassia, thank you so much for joining me again, president of Organon Canada. I will be celebrating with you tomorrow on World Contraception Day. Thanks so much for contributing to the program tonight, Mike. Thank you, Maureen. you got questions, she's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. We're continuing our conversations around women and freedom, essentially, and advancing the progress of women at work, et cetera, et cetera. We're also going to be talking about when you uh, stop having sex and why that is not good for you. And then uh, we'll cover everything (laughs) at the end of the show with uh, COVID and talk a little bit about the bivalent vaccine and, and why you might consider getting that and what the fall is going to look like. And more importantly, even December and just how many variants we are expecting to have. But right now, I want to talk about a very important subject. We're not quite there yet. You may not be quite there yet if you are a woman or the person in your life or your employees may not be quite there yet. It is the World Health Organization and International Menopause Society have designated October as World menopause month. Now, as I say, we're not quite there yet. You might not be quite there yet, but any woman who is fortunate enough to live into her fifties will experience the menopause. Some women will experience many more symptoms than others. Some women will go through unscathed, but the impact on society can be great. And especially in the workplace, which we don't think about You know, we're not thinking about the break rooms, the temperature of the break rooms or the uniforms women are expected to wear 
or some of the symptoms that they're having and how they're experiencing those symptoms at work. And even when they go home after a hard day's work, and then they go home after having had brain fog, and then they're expected to pick up the slack, and then they might have insomnia, night sweats, and anxiety. And anyway, it can all lead to anxiety. I'm feeling anxious just talking about it right now. But fortunately, you've heard her voice before. She's been on the program before. She is an a wellness and performance medical doctor. She empowers lawyers, doctors, and other professionals to reduce burnout and overwhelm so that they can increase productivity in the workplace. And believe you me, menopause, although it's a hush-hush subject and not discussed frequently, it can impact productivity in the workplace. If you own a business, you're going to want to listen up here. Joining me on the line, of course, is none other than Dr. Tommy Mitchell. Good evening, Dr. Mitchell. Good evening, Maureen. Thanks for having me again. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to join the program and talk about this subject that, you know, not a lot of people talk about. People really aren't. It's, you know, again, you're not sitting down at the table. How are you doing? Well, I'm in menopause. How are you? You know, it's not the answers. You don't say, well, I'm, you know, having night sweats and hot flashes and insomnia. Nobody wants to hear about it. But it's something that can seriously impact a woman's life and also a family's life and can impact a relationship. But it can also impact the workplace. So. Tell me a little bit about what that is like for women. And before we go into that, I just want to say the median age of menopause is 51. And, you know, this is really impacting, you know, groups like nurses where largely most nurses are female and the average age of nurses worldwide is 52. So, you know, about 1.3 million women in the U.S. are menopausal. And, you know, this is, these numbers are staggering when we think about it and how, you know, work, the workplaces are harder. I mean, and and if you're working from home as well, that's something else, but for now we're heading back into the offices. A lot of companies are saying, come back two days a week, three days a week, five days a week, three days a month. And, and many women are thinking as those who are going through menopause, oh my gosh, you know, maybe they can survive a little bit better working from home. Um, but what's it like for women in the, uh, experiencing symptom at, symptoms of menopause and, and trying to work in the office or in hospitals? Yeah, great question. It can be crushing because let's face it, by the time you're 51, you've likely been working at your job for some time. And, you know, in previous weeks we talked about lookism and ageism and all those isms that affect both men and women, but we're talking about women today. So you have that, this societal... Um, society often views older people as being less valuable. Unfortunately, that's just the reality in which we live in right now. And for a woman who's going through menopause and going through, whether it's the hot flashes, whether the vaginal dryness, the mood swings, the brain fog, this just makes the challenging transition in one's life even more challenging. And then you add on top of that workplace cultures that are not up to speed in menopause. And let's face it, even medicine itself is not up to speed in menopause. There's so much Uh lack of training and lack of understanding and really support that women need during this important transition. Like I said, the same way we celebrate a woman who goes through puberty, we should celebrate this stage in life because women of this age have so much value and wisdom and insight. And you mentioned the nursing situation. Well, 90% of, I think, nurses are women, and then a large portion are in menopause. So what happens when these women already are exhausted, burnt out, and stressed from a pandemic, then hit menopause, then, you know, 
we're losing that huge wealth of information that we can't just train in a year or two. So it's, from my perspective, it's, it's worrisome, but the good thing is we're talking about it. And that's why I think issues like this are very important. It is such an important conversation to have. And, you know, for, for women who are in leadership roles or management roles, you know, at around the age of 51, when the average age of onset of menopause, you know, those are the times that they're, that, you know, if they're fortunate enough, the very few who advance <laughs> um, yeah. in corporations, very, very, the two that become CEOs. No, but a lot of women at this age advance in their careers and, you know, they may be experiencing all those symptoms that you mentioned, anxiety, insomnia, hot flashes, night sweats, joint pain, leg pain, foot yeah. pain, vaginal dryness. Vaginal dryness can impact their relationship and can lead to low sexual desire. And then that can cause discord in the relationship. And then, so you're not sleeping, you've got hot flashes, you've got joint pain and your relationship is, uh, you know, suffering as well. Like this is a recipe for disaster. Then you're expected to go in to work and lead a team or, you know, yeah. launch a new product or, you know, um, change policies and protocols or, you know, develop something new, contribute to science so much. But yet this, um, these symptoms you're experiencing that you're afraid to talk about. And, and as you say, even in medicine, you know, people, the uh, healthcare providers don't have the training um, yeah. in medical school, you know, the understanding about menopause and what to do. They may not be up to date on the most recent research, you know, I mean, it is very difficult for women who are working outside of the home. Yes. And even speaking of the training, there's also the fears of prescribing hormone replacement therapy for women with the fear mm -hmm. of the risk of increased breast cancer and clots and everything else. So it's a situation where you have to weigh in the pros and the cons. Now, for the women that are listening, especially if you are maybe premenopausal or maybe you're past that there are things that you can do now and we all should do now and I, I always jump at any opportunity to talk about mental health so those things that we brushed under the rug in our 20s and 30s and 40s we will eventually trip over them by the time we hit menopause so if we have an underlying anxiety disorder depression um, cyclical mm -hmm. moods etc cetera, etc cetera, it will likely rear its ugly head when you don't want it to happen and that is when you're losing that protective I guess, cushion of estrogen and progesterone balance, keeping you more calm, mm -hmm. helping you, you know, have a filter on your mouth, helping you correct your facial expressions before they show what you really feel before you get to filter it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just being real here. Like, it is, mm -hmm. it is, a, it is a big deal. And then dealing with the challenges of being as a leader, and you're a very small percentage of women are very, we're underrepresented in leadership roles. It is challenging. Absolutely. And, you know, they say that women who have not, I mean, so many women in the world have experienced trauma. We talked about it earlier on in the program and, you know, or, you know, many women have experienced abuse, unwanted sexual advances, yeah. um, you know, poverty. And, you know, these are the kinds of things we have to grieve and, and get over and not, not really get over, but process. And, yeah. and is there any truth to the fact that, and you're speaking a little bit about it, but you know, for people who haven't resolved their, maybe their family of origin issues or their childhood issues or their relationship issues, that they're going to actually experience a tougher menopause and be more symptomatic? From my professional experience, a resounding yes. The chances of you having 
a tougher transition is significantly higher. Imagine one in four women have been sexually assaulted, abused at some point in their life. And if you think of mm-hmm. verbal, I'm sure it's even more, right? Um, yes. So imagine if you have sexual abuse and then you're going into a period of your life where there's, there can be vaginal pain, there can be you know, dryness, there can be concerns about your body image. How would that help your mental health? How would that help your emotions? Right? Mm-hmm. What kind of triggers will be raised at that point in a woman, right? Especially if they're a partner that maybe doesn't understand or maybe it's a new relationship or maybe, you know, who knows? But it's a perfect storm for challenges, right? Dr. Tommy Mitchell is my guest. We are talking menopause. And, you know, it's kind of the lead up to menopause month. October is menopause awareness month and perimenopause is the time leading up to the menopause when you may experience symptoms such as hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog, uh, pain in your joints, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low sexual desire, fatigue. You may gain some weight in the midsection. Dr. Mitchell, thanks so much for staying on the line. I am sure you've seen many women in your clinical practice, as I have seen in mine, who are suffering, suffering with all those symptoms that I've just described impacting their workplace and their relationships and their quality of life. Many, many people are just so fearful of estrogen because of the Women's Health Initiative study that basically shut down prescriptions for women and and really changed uh, the way menopause was managed. I mean, today we're seeing women, you know, getting bioidentical hormone therapy, which is estrogen, based on saliva samples and all of this baloney that goes on on Mm -hmm. Instagram and social media. Um, What are your thoughts on estrogen? Well, estrogen has a long history. You know, when science community first played around with it, well, they gave people horse doses, and we saw lots of clots and everything like that. There is truth. um, Estrogen, definitely there are risks. It definitely can increase your risk of um, blood clots and strokes, even if you're taking it with progesterone, which is like the yin and yang, balancing those hormones. Um, however, we've got to um, weigh out the pros and cons and also take estrogen as part of the treatment for menopause. It's not the be-all and end-all, because if you are mm-hmm. only taking the HRT without doing the other thing, I think you're doing yourself a disservice, and then at that point, the risks may even be higher than the benefits. But every woman's case and is by- different. And by the other things you mean, eating a nutritious diet and uh, exercising and ensuring you're getting your sleep. But for women who are suffering, who are just, you know, dripping in sweat, anxiety, heart palpitations, um, weight gain, fatigue, mood swings, anxiety, insomnia, painful joints, pain. I mean, these are some of the things that I have seen. And, and, you know, there is a risk, um, but- the, the risk wasn't how it was described in that women's health initiative study. Even the principal investigator came out and said that it was a very flawed study, yet it has mm. had tremendous negative impacts. And, and when I'm talking, we're talking systemic estrogen, not vaginal estrogen, which is quite different. Vaginal estrogen is low dose, but we just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, but for somebody who is suffering with their quality of life, um, you, you mentioned every woman is different. And this is a conversation that a woman needs to have with her healthcare provider. Is that correct? Versus a conversation on a Facebook community or on Instagram or asking yes. friends. 
Yes, please talk to someone who's qualified and experienced. And, you know, if you don't get a clear answer with your provider, talk, find someone else who maybe has more of a special interest in um, hormone replacement therapy, right? Because um, mm-hmm. at some point, if someone who's suffering, as you mentioned, you have to kind of like give them a break initially, right? Something, okay, this is like temporary, intermediate bridging, but this is what else we need to consider and do to help you go through this transition as smooth as possible. So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely and, talk. And to- go ahead. No, I just say definitely talk to your providers because there's so much misinformation online. It's it's absolutely scary. It's time for the bedroom bulletin. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. My guest is Dr. Tomi Mitchell. I asked her to remain on the line. Thank you so much, Dr. Mitchell, for doing okay. so. Just to talk a little bit further, dive a little deeper into menopause and a subject that's barely discussed, which is vaginal dryness, painful sex, low sexual desire. Sex bathes your brain in a chemical afterglow that lasts about two days and helps you to bond with your partner over the longer term. And without it, you could lose some of that satisfaction in one's relationship. Well, when women hit the menopause, average age of 51, maybe the kids have left home to go off to college or university, and um, you're finding yourself more freedom, you don't have financial worries potentially, and you know things are going pretty well, and then all of a sudden, boom, vaginal dryness hits, and that can lead to painful sex and low sexual desire, and it can impact a relationship. Uh, how common is uh, vaginal dryness, Dr. Mitchell? This is very common. You know, as you mentioned, it's not often talked about. So in my practice, I would often tell women, okay, about menopause, like it's called menopause. Um, sometimes that part of our um, relationship takes a hit, but all is not lost. You know, there are things that you can do and your partner can do to help improve the situation. So I don't really want me to take this topic, but I love this topic. Um, what would you like to ask? And so, what are some of those things that? What are some of those things that women can do? Um, to help themselves with vaginal dryness. If they're experiencing, if, if somebody out there is listening right now and they're experiencing vaginal dryness, what would you recommend? Well, over the counter, like um, there are creams for that, that are non-hormonal based, which is pretty safe depending regardless of your health history. Definitely talk to your physician, care provider, and practitioner about hormonal based. But I think the key is, a key part is that communication with your partner, right? That whole foreplay piece, that whole having a healthy relationship with our son and excitement throughout the day. Because as you paint the picture, oftentimes it's that couple, that's the kids that left the house, and now they're there on their own. But I also see many couples, they often don't have as much sex because their kids are in the house, right? So suddenly it's like, okay, we're we're here again, and that part of their life has sometimes taken a hit. How do we kindle this with menopausal symptoms, as well as potentially the partner, if it's a male, also having potentially his own challenges, because men do have their challenges after a certain age, on average. So, first thing is, you know, the -the over-the-counter replenish is a common brand. Talk to your care provider about vaginal creams, and make sure you rule out any other conditions that can be affecting things down there, and also make sure you've had your checkups, like past years, and you go through the spectrum. 
And so um, you mentioned the, like the personal moisturizer, for example, I often recommend, I always recommend to my patients to use Femme. It's um, mm-hmm. the most hygienic one. It's all natural. It's a lubricant and a moisturizer. It can, it's like, I say it's a rain shower for the vagina. Nice. <laughs> that was what one of my patients said anyway, described it as, so it sounded pretty good to me. Um, and also it can help during sex as well. So it can be used as a lubricant also. Um, but, but sometimes women need, they might be having more symptoms in addition to vaginal dryness, like, um, leakage of urine or urgency, and they might actually have, they might be getting your urinary tract infections. And so low dose localized estrogen therapy, you mentioned the creams, um, and there's a ring, um, there's a tablet, although I don't think that the tablet works as effectively for moderate to severe, um, vaginal dryness. But, um, what would you say to a woman who was thinking about, um, you, you know, having a prescription for a low dose localized estrogen and here's the word estrogen and is afraid. Yes. Okay. So let's acknowledge that fear. Like what are her concerns? Really let her express her concerns and then, you know, talk about family history, what she's aware of because we can have strong family history of clots and strokes and X, Y, Z. It'll be a but if this is low, this is low dose versus systemic because systemic oh, okay. is actually, you know, it's circulating yes. through. So just in terms of the, of the low dose where, I mean, it typically do, isn't absorbed into the um, yes. systemic system, system but exactly. a woman still might be fearful of it. And it's always a woman's choice. And that's why we have the freedoms we have in, in North America. Um, and, yeah. and as you mentioned, the hormone free, but, but the low, the low dose localized estrogen versus systemic, what, okay. what's the difference basically? Well, the risk is significantly different. Most of the low dose localized basically stays where it's put, right? So you're not worried about mm-hmm. as much about the cardiovascular impact, the breast impact. So it is definitely research and critical experience potentially a safer option for somebody who is concerned about the risk of systemic estrogen, high dose, right? So it's yes. it's a nice bridge, I think. It's a it's playing it safe and hoping that this helps alleviate your symptoms while you do the other things that will help as well. Absolutely. And um because sex is so important as you mentioned. It is very and- important. In the relationship. And there you go. You know, you've raised the kids, you've suffered through the fine, the paying off the mortgage, done the whole thing. They leave the house and all of a sudden you get vaginal dryness and erectile dysfunction. (laughs) And uh, it's just a disaster in the bedroom. (laughs) But there are, the bottom line here is the conversation is have the conversation with your partner, with yeah. your healthcare provider. There are treatments. Aren't there so many treatments? You can't even name them all in, oh, in one little so segment. So That's right. And it's so important because otherwise, you know, sex doesn't have to end because you're having problems with it. You know, like if you, you know, sprain your ankle or break your leg, it doesn't mean walking has to end. You know, you get the proper treatments for it and then you're, you know, back on your game. And you can get back on yeah. your game, no matter what the situation is, as long as it's, you know, a loving, mutual, um, consenting uh, situation, but also understanding um, yeah. that sex is so important. Yeah, because Might when it stops, to to really... yeah, please do. When we talk about Maslow's triangle of needs, like sex is there with air and water, okay? So it is mm-hmm. important. 
right? And that two days of, you know, feeling better and more connected with your partner, that also spills over to your work environment, you know? Mm. So that, you know, smile, that pleasantry, that spills over. And we want to be pleasant at work. We want to be on our best performance, right? So... Absolutely. You can tell the one who's getting it in the office. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. It well, is. Well, you'd be more. Yeah, Go you'll ahead. feel less anxious. You'll yes. be more productive. Yes. Absolutely. You'd be less stressed because, yes. you know, your sex will help helps to lessen the amount of hormones that your body releases in response to stress. Yes. It's good it for helps. your heart. Your immune system. Your immune system. Absolutely. That's right. I mean, you might burn five or six calories <laughs> as well, which every calorie yeah, counts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Twenty or thirty. Well, it's not the three hundred. I mean, unless you're, you know, it's like a four-hour deal. Um, you might lose your keys less often if you're having more sex, um, because regular sex is appears to be linked to improved memory. A lot of people are worried about dementia. Alzheimer's disease, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not really clear why sex is, but it could be that the heart is pumping, you're getting more exercise, you're, the endorphins, the happy hormones, you know, uh, your yeah. immune system is better. So, you know, it, it, and really it's not that often, like, a, I don't know if you find in your clinical practice, Dr. Mitchell, but, you know, the people that I speak to, it's just like, you know, if you have sex like once a week, it's, you know, that's probably going to do it for the two of you. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I deal with a lot of patients with low sexual desire and one has low desire, the other has a higher desire. And so it's just like, it's really not that much time, you know, two minutes for some <laughs> and hey, once a week and you're, and you're, yeah. Your marriage will stay intact, your relationship, pretty much. It doesn't take that. Is that what you find in your uh, clinical practice? Yes. You need to, that connection weekly is, honestly, unless it's a physical reason. But I mean, it's always the internet. So, yes, it needs to be there. It's like weekly, bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah, that's the bare, bare Couples who do it at least once a week seem to be the happiest couples. And that can help build trust and understanding between you and your partner. And it, and it is also putting yourself in somebody else's shoes or, or bed, shall I say, um, you know, that, that, you know, because when some, when, when there's desire discrepancy, and there's always going to be desire discrepancy, but when, it, I mean, I see patients who they have significant desire discrepancy, like absolutely do not want to have it and never want to have it again in their lives. You know, that's, that's where they begin. Um, but if yeah. you can think about the other person and the other person's need for touch and connection and closeness, you know, it's, it's really working with couples to help them understand the importance of it, but it's not just about the relationship. It's about, as you mentioned, you know, mental and physical and, and work health, workplace health, really. Yeah, it's important. You cannot, you know, just isolate one piece of your life. It's all connected, that whole wellness piece. You know, your it, yes, emotional, yeah, and part of the problem is there's such a stigma associated with sex, and you know, in part because especially around sexual desire for women, women are are shamed for having sexual desire. Women are slut shamed for having sexual desire. There's a double standard. Sex is okay yeah. for men, but it's not okay for women to talk about pleasure or to educate women about pleasure or um, 
you know, to have multiple partners or, um, you know, so it's, and, and me, even physicians, you know, I've been reviewing some studies around, uh, physicians speaking to their patients about sex and, you know, so many patients, so many physicians do not speak to their patients about it. Don't even ask about it. So they don't even know how a patient identifies when you don't bring up the subject of sex or sexuality, you don't even know how somebody identifies as a sexual being. So you couldn't, one couldn't provide treatment options if they're assuming that somebody is heterosexual when they're, you know, two-spirited or, you know, uh, um, you know, bisexual or queer or whatever, you know, when they don't even bring it up because they're afraid that they're entering their private life. They feel like it's a privacy issue. But, you know, patients want doctors to ask them about their sexuality and sexual health because so many people experience issues with sexual health. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. commonplace. It is so common. And, you know, patients want them, their doctors, well, want to know the healthcare providers and be asked in a place of confidence, not in the emergency department when there's 10 people around them. we got to add that. That's right. <laughs> it's such an important, it's such an important point. You've made so many important points, Dr. Mitchell. I really appreciate having this conversation with you and until next week, have a uh, yeah, very sure. lovely, happy and sexually healthy week, my friend. <laughs> Amen to that. I'm feeling that. All right. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.